can't. Tell me. I can't, not unless the master says... Tell me, they weren't what? They weren't. Tell me why Bran and Rickon should be gone while you still breathe the air. Tell me to my face, Theon. Tell me that they weren't your brothers. They weren't Bran and Rickon. I wanted to ask you, how does one follow an episode like the one we saw last week and the one that we recorded immediately following Hard Home's airing. I haven't read any of the interviews that I'm sure followed the airing of this week's episode with the creators, whereby I bet they were asked that exact question. How do you follow an episode like Hard Home? Or as you asked me, how do you follow the podcast episode like we did? And I think the answer that they would give is going to be the answer that I would give or that I am going to give to you now and the listeners at home, which is, you just do. You keep going, we pressed record, the red button, and you just hope that the same magic can be captured again, or something that doesn't fall too far short of it. Um, yeah. We were treated to quite an amazing episode uh, on Sunday, and... I'm sure that the next episode has been even more carefully pruned because it had to be because uh, of, of of just how epic this episode was. You you would hate to lose momentum. You would hate to have an episode nine. I mean, this is, again, episode nine. Historically, the episode to watch coming up. And so I really feel like we have nothing to worry about for the show. And as far as you and I are concerned, well, that's too bad. <laughs> it was it was better with the three of us. We love, of course, those listening. You will not have heard Zach's dulcet tones yet. Zach is not with us today. But part of the magic of Sunday's episode is left to be discussed by the Goo Crew here. And that is one, if not... Well, actually, no, it's not the only reason, because we also have all of your owns to get to. Uh, so many lovely, lovely owns that you've shared with us. But there's plenty of the episode left to be discussed, and I think that Mike and I are looking really forward to doing so. It was definitely one of those episodes that just had such an amazing impact, not just on the passionate fan, but just the casual fan, too. Just everything that I heard from people who would watch it at work and, and, mm. and, you know, just that I would run into that were just your regular Game of Thrones fans. You know, they turn on the TV every night at nine o'clock. If you live here on the East Coast, mm -hmm. turn on HBO and, and they were really, I think, blown away by the, the last 25 minutes or so of this episode with John going to hard home and everything that followed. But I'm really anticipating what's going to be coming up in the, Ninth episode, as you mentioned, it is the episode that has traditionally, historically been the episode of the season. Uh, everything from Baylor to the Red Wedding. But how do you top Hard Home? How do you do it? How how do you do it? Besides, well, Hard Home was was a different kind of moment. It was okay because it wasn't a major death necessary you know you didn't have that moment take place hmm. it, but it, it was more of a unveiling it was the pulling back the curtain on what we had 
wanted to know more about for such a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, this this was a a group of creatures <laughs> that I was going to say individuals, but I don't really think they fall into that category. And this is something that for us sullied, we haven't got as much in depth knowledge or or insight in the books into who the white walkers are. We we now have an idea of how whites are created, but I think we mm-hmm. kind of figured that out somewhere along the way. Well, it's it's right. It's like does it need to be shown because you can guess at it? Like it's it's a well, wave of a magic wand or raising of an arm. But I, I, I just to disagree a little bit, I think Hardhome was more than that. It's I mean that was uh sort of the the big shock that they went to into uncharted territory to give us uh that those final moments of that scene but ultimately it's a character it's a moment of great uh humanity that these wildlings are showing to each other and these wildlings who are uh, traditionally not uh getting along especially with Jon Snow Jon's got to go parlay with them and get them to join him on his boat it's a tremendous character moment for John. This is perhaps his biggest, like the climax of his arc in this season. Uh, he's still got a way to go. He's still got to get back to the wall. Of course, we know from the preview, he's got to maybe convince people to let him back in. But I mean, this this big moment between him and Tormund at Hardhome in this episode was perhaps the the biggest moment for the characters because it, 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 a lot was riding on it, and not the least of which was John's life. And so even though he didn't die, I, I mean, the people who died at Blackwater were not Stannis or Davos um, or the or King Joffrey or any of them either. And, and it was still a tremendous moment that made that episode nine. So I, unless they're packing another one of those, I'd be very interested in, in seeing if episode eight doesn't end up being just the, the most balls to the wall, insane, crazy fun. I, I think there's definitely going to be things that people are going to – enjoy about episode nine and, and maybe there'll be a few of those jaw dropping moments as well. I, I don't know. And, and I think that it, it's, it's, it's titled dance with dragons, uh, lends so many things to mind in terms of Daenerys and her dragons and, mm. and what's to come there, uh, with Rhaegal and Viserion and, and obviously Drogon being off. We haven't seen him since very early on in the season. But to me, not only was it a character defining moment, but I think it put to the forefront the very clear and apparent danger that the White Walkers and the Whites and their entire army present to all of the seven kingdoms yeah. and that it put to the forefront, the fact that John's battle and the battle of the wildlings and, and the night's watch, that is the battle. Nothing else matters. The war of the five Kings does not matter. What's going out in Essos does not matter when compared to what John and the night's watch and the wildlings are going to have to combat when, when winter fully takes over in the north and starts to spread throughout the realm. This is, this is what this series is going to be about. And obviously factoring in the fire element of it with possibly Daenerys. You know, it is interesting because this evil or this magic that gives the white walkers power, this knight's king or Coldemort, if you'd like to call him, I thought of another name for him too. I don't like that. You don't like Coldemort? It, it's catchy, but <laughs> I, 
I think he's Micah hates cool the, enough the that traditional he can, catchy. He can get his own name, is what mm-hmm. I'm saying. I mean, he, he doesn't have to be compared to uh, a Harry Potter villain necessarily. Okay, all right. You think it's demeaning? You know, I, no, I had another name for him. Perhaps it'll come to me um, just when I was rewatching uh, the episode prior to recording. But you know, with, with the power that uh, animates them having been, we we spoke on this several times, but having sort of laid dormant over the centuries, the knowledge on how to defeat these guys is not well known. It's been forgotten. You know, books don't even write about it properly. And I, I'm really wondering what the battle was like the last time these guys were in the world, if there was a last time, or if this is the first and only battle that will see the army of the dead. You know, it, it's... I wonder to what extent, because for me, if this battle has been waged before, if the White Walkers have had led an army against maybe the First Men and the Children, this you know thousands of years ago, and lost, I'm I'm surprised that a lot of this has been forgotten. You you would almost you would almost take great effort to um, make sure that something as important as this evil force that could lay the world to to icy waste uh, can be defeated this way. This is how we did it. You would you would almost make a greater effort. So I don't know if this is really the first time we've seen them out in this full full enough of of force like we did when when John saw them on the episode. What do you think? It's hard to say because the White Walkers, or you know, oftentimes they're referred to as the Others in the books. Mm. You know, they're they're a group of in individuals, creatures, however you want to classify them that haven't been seen for over 8,000 years. Yeah. And so you have to think what is so special about this moment, this time, this season that they are now returned and, and, and are coming back and resurfacing. I think they got a slightly more generous budget this season and that's how they were able to bring them back. (laughs) Yeah, but HBO said, "Okay, you can have a little bit more." All right, we're bringing the Wilding Army back. If you go back to very early on, and and as early as you can possibly go in the series with the prologue of Game of Thrones, and it was the opening sequence of the series back in season one, it was you know a glimpse into what these creatures are, and then now here we are, five seasons later in this in the eighth episode of season five, and we're finally having this moment where Jon Snow is coming face to face with the Night's King, albeit with a little bit of water in between the two of them, but not much. And you just have puddle, to wonder really. just what is the importance here and, and what is the end game for both sides and, and what would defeat mean for the White Walkers? We know what it would mean for the Night's Watch. We know what it would mean for the Wildlings. Yeah, yeah. All your bodies are belong to us. Like, we're just going to possess them. We'll kill you and then possess you. So we still have so many unanswered questions, and I think it's just another element of magic that continues to develop in this world where I think very early on, even though we got that introduction to them in in the opening sequence of, mm. of season one – by and large, they are forgotten. You know, they're not talked about uh, or or even seen very much through most of the first five seasons. You know, we we get that moment at out in um, you know just following what happened at at Craster's Keep when he gives away one of his sons yeah. to the White Walkers, and we see at the end of that episode 
how they take babies. Yeah, we were, we've known that, that they were there though. And that, and that's enough. The fact that the TV series stayed true to the beginning of the book, the prologue of A Game of Thrones, by keeping that scene in with the, uh, deserter, you know, the, the crows who go and, and meet up and, and get killed. By keeping that in and having that as the first scene, you are excused from having entire episodes or seasons without these guys, because these guys are very clearly set up as the big bad, but it's a slow burning plot. It's something that you, you, the world would end or the world, it's, it's going to be the battle for the world when they do show up. And so the fact that that's happening now is stating, okay, got to kick your butts in gear. Like this is happening. This is going to be the battle for the world, which is super exciting because we've, we've thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, I'm speaking for everybody, but for myself, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching these seasons, watching these kings fight, you know, these different families vibe for power. Uh, like Daenerys says in this episode on the wheel. Um, but ultimately these guys were always in the background. These guys are foundational or formational. There is something very primitive about their, their magical, um, you know, how, what the thing that imbues them with intelligence and, and, um, agency. And I, I think that ultimately the show's done nothing wrong in hiding them from us. It's just that you mentioned Micah, the casual viewer. And I think, um, you know, something of this scale that is so magical, the bringing back people from the dead, so bold, you know, on the part of uh, how everything looks is very blue and shiny and, and, and terrifying. Um, just this, the size of the battle at Hardhome and how they showed that is really appealing and it feels like, okay, it's answer time or okay, it's go time. Got to defend the entire world now. And it's just that, that it's so much bigger than, as you mentioned, the problems that are, are being faced by lesser people south of the wall. It, yep. it does. It doesn't matter. This is the war. And, and remember that this wall that we keep speaking about, it was, it was put in place to really protect the rest of the realm from what lies beyond it. It wasn't because of wildlings. It was because of the White Walkers and, and, mm -hmm. and the others, at least. That's what I've always been led to believe. And I think that they've done a great job this season, especially with what happened at Hardhome, with making it very, very clear that despite all these discrepancies and these little battles that are going on, they're nothing in the grand scheme of things. And and even Melisandre says it as she looks into the flames, right? She says this war of five kings means nothing. And she gets it. She sees it. But how many other people actually really understand and how many of them are going to be able to understand in enough time to hopefully band together to fight against this one cause, this one enemy, I should say, that could really obliterate all of them. And 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 that's that's the power of this episode is that's what it's demonstrating. That's what it's showing to all the viewers out there, to all of us, that everything that we've known up until this point probably doesn't matter in the grand scheme. Well, and the wall was built, you mentioned the wall being built for the to keep the White Walkers out, not the wildlings. The wall has been a political uh, I don't say advantage, but it's been a, it's, it's just been the way we've been viewing it so far is 
it's like a basically a penal colony, a work colony where you uh, become, you know, just this laborer, um, this man of the night's watch as a punishment and you don't want to be there and it's so effing cold, but there's these other, you know, people on the north side of the wall that really hate your guts because they're even colder than you are. And we've seen it, you know, it's, it's been approached in a sort of political or, um, cultural and anthropological manner, if that's the right phrasing. Um, but it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, that's, that would be inaccurate to, you know, why the wall was actually built, which was to keep these guys out. So, you know, mentioning that we, we did get an email here and we did get just a ton of feedback and we love, um, going through all of the feedback, but I wanted to bring up an email because on this subject, Domina writes in about the wall and Domina writes, Hey Goo, first time emailer here. You guys were speculating at some point about why the White Walkers slash Whites couldn't follow John and the Wildlings into the sea, and I have seen other people post this question online as well. My idea is perhaps the seas surrounding the wall are enchanted as well, and therefore it isn't the water itself they fear, but the magical barrier that they cannot cross. Just thought I would throw that into the mix. Looking forward to the next casting of the pod. Well, thank you. Uh, you should, Domino, because you're on it now. But with this um, news, the idea, it reminded me that the children, I think, helped the first men build the wall. So I, I like the idea that there are um, spells that would keep, you know, n- and not just the fact that there's a really tall wall, but that there are spells also, and that may extend into the water surrounding the wall. Maybe not the water at Hardhome, because that's a ways away. But uh, I thought it was important to bring that up while we're talking about that, because... Um, it was built, after all, to keep the White Walkers out. I don't see why that couldn't be a possibility. We saw uh, last season with the Children of the Forest that they were able to uh, create uh, a barrier which prevented the, the Whites uh, from, or, or those skeleton Legend of Zelda type creatures from advancing uh, into the, the underground sort of werewood forest that was there. What was the dialogue? The magic that powers them is powerless here? Yeah, so who knows? I mean, there, I think the North is has been proven to be rich in magic, so uh, it's certainly uh, it's certainly a possibility. So mm-hmm. uh, we appreciate your, your you emailing in for the first time, Domina. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have to see. We'll see if that plays a role. Uh, moving forward now certainly uh we don't want hard home to take up all of this episode it could take up this episode another episode and another one after we've that. already didn't done that once <laughs> yeah and uh you know, we talked a lot about it on the episode immediately following uh sunday and so now i think uh, we want to talk about a few of the other things that took place and um i was really impressed uh, by aria in this episode who mm-hmm. is continuing to become a little deviant child not that she wasn't before but uh, <laughs> she's growing into this role of a, of a faceless assassin and she is uh, taking the uh, teachings of of jack and hagar uh, and you know, she was out there finally in the streets of Bravos. We got a chance to see her, uh, yeah, on her first real task. She plays the game of lies or the game of faces where she has to tell the lie, and she barely gets hit or whipped with the whipped with the 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 flag um, that Jacken's got. So she's definitely learning, definitely improving, and it's 
I guess, carting oysters around Bravos and waiting for further instructions. With Arya, one of the things that came to my mind in Bravos is I, I really want to know if you can have these people who are going around and Arya is in particular selling oysters and she's got an oyster cart with real oysters and it's got real butter and I hope she didn't kill anybody to get that cart. But she's who she says she is, and and that's all there is to it until she's not, right? Until she's asked to carry poison and actually poison one of her um, patrons in particular. And I'm just wondering, because she's she's doing this labor, she's doing this task, she's got this job in Bravos. I'm wondering if really if, if anybody in Bravos is who they say they are. I mean, you just imagine that the the House of Black and White is this huge building on the outskirts of town, and it's got these disciples that come and show up as, as somebody different. But being so close in such proximity, this is their training ground. And you've, you've got to think that there would be more people just like Arya also doing menial tasks around the city. And I wonder... It is a great question, because everyone from Bravos that we've met... Primarily Sirio and and Jacken. Mm. At least Jacken has is not who he appears to be. We don't know if Sirio was who he appeared to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was obviously a character. I think that everybody really enjoyed watching the interactions between Arya and him back in season one. But yeah, it's interesting also to me that Arya's ties to Bravos go all the way back to season one. You know, it's almost like she's been moving in this direction ever since oh, because she was Syria. first written. Mm. Yeah. Going all the way back to him and him teaching her how to fight with needle. And then of course she runs not long after uh, the incident at Baylor with her father. She is, traveling north to the wall with Yorin and who's part of that contingent but Jack and Hagar and then you know they developed that relationship at Harrenhal and and now she's actually in Bravos it's it's almost like you know, the way that George has written her as a character has been to eventually you know, you get a little bit of taste of Bravos along the way and then finally you're here so but it, it is hard to know I'm sure there's some trustworthy people and some honorable people in Bravos. We know, though, that uh, both Mace Terrell and, and Marin Trant are on their way over there to the Iron Bank. We know that Marin Trant is a name that is on the list, that that dangerous list oh, of that's Arias. that's lucky. Or that unlucky. is lucky. Huh. Unlucky for Marin, perhaps. Yeah. So... Who knows if those two will encounter each other that uh, is at funny. some point I didn't think about before that. the end of the season. Mm. And then uh, Arya has taken on this persona of Lana. That's the name that yeah. she is given. A girl and named Lana will return to the docks. She uh, goes to the docks and she's trying to get as much dirt as possible on this guy who's really running a scam right he's running what appears at least to me to be an insurance scam on these captains and yeah or or these sailors and i think he may pay for it with his life at some point by a little bit of uh poisoned oyster i think that's the idea um and there i I like the the music in this part of this episode was was just phenomenal when she when aria is getting her mission and when she says but you you said you didn't know what i I would see and he says oh yeah i didn't know what a girl would see or not and it's a whole it's a test he knew this character was there 
uh, taking advantage of these families. Perhaps maybe one of the victims came to the house of black and white and, you know, asked for help. There was something very Robin Hoodie about, uh, the, the way Jack and spoke about, you know, who, who will these people turn to, uh, for justice. And, uh, I, yeah, I mean, I think this man has drawn the attention of this amazing headquarters for assassins. And I, it's not, maybe that's in some part what keeps the city safe. You know, maybe Bravos would be a great place to live because if there are um, unsavory people, the assassins in training will uh, will go and take care of them. Bravos is, is really a training ground, though, in in my mind, mm-hmm. because there's obviously much larger evils in the world, and we see that even Jack and Hagar has come over to Westeros at you know some point, and and you know he is willing to act on behalf of whomever he was working for before, you know, that ends him up uh, with, with Rorge and Biter in, yeah, the, in that I cart. I really wonder how he got... Or was it just happenstance that he, he should come across Arya, and mm-hmm. is that the reason that he was there? But, uh, you know, the fact that he was willing to kill for her, and yes. because she w- freed him and got him safely away from that fire... Uh, that in fact, there's a much larger purpose for these individuals. At least, it, it's not just confined to the city of Bravos. I feel like that's that's where they that's where they earn their badges. That's where they earn their stripes. But then, <laughs> the real world is what awaits them, and that's their that, that's their ultimate test. You cannot face the elite four until you have the Boulder Badge. I mean, because think about it: who ultimately does Jack and Hagar report to? Oh, I don't know who he reports to, um, but it, it's it, the, he's doing the work of the many-faced god, right? And the many-faced god as a character, as a deity, is very fascinating. The idea that he tells Arya's rival, Jacken says to her, um, when she says to him, she's not ready, you know, and he says, it's, and she says, what if, what if she's not ready? And he says, it's all the same. It is all the same to the many-faced God. Like, is it? Is it really? <laughs> Does the many-faced God not care if, so, if you're sending a, a properly trained assassin to kill somebody? I was a little confused by that remark, but it's it's going down in my book as being Jack and Hagar is, again, coddling Arya. But he sees something in her. He sees this p- potential, this drive, and he's being gentle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, Arya will will not be gentle at all. I, I think, you know, he gave her the vial. I do feel that she's capable of administering it, and that's that's all there is. I mean, I I I would like to see her pass this test, and I'm really genuinely curious to find out what lies beyond this test. It's 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 interesting that they should give her an assignment. Well, not interesting, but it's it it makes sense that they'll give her assignment so close to home. Or so close to Bravos now, but what is the future? Yeah, it is a great question. We don't know the answer to that. What is her end game? You, know, we talk about so many other characters and what their end game is going to be. But what is her path? What what happens once she becomes proficient in being this type of assassin? And is this gambler on the docks the first of many? You know, she's already killed before, but now she's under command. Now she has. 
you know, sort of her her own. Inst- she has instruction from Jackin as to as to why this person is deserving of this fate. But I almost wonder if someone along the lines of a Marin Trent is going to be a distraction for her. Is he going to get in the way Gosh. of of what she is ultimately trying to achieve? And and how does that all? way on the you know on the mind of Jacken and and how would he feel about that because we know that Arya at the end of the day is still a very young woman she's you know and, and so her ability to rationalize and to think clearly you know may not be at the level of somebody like Jacken and so i think we have uh you know over these next two episodes a lot to see develop with her and Marin Trant and we know that it was Cersei who yeah. sent him to Bravos with Mace Tyrell to parlay with the Iron Bank. Uh, Cersei is now in a much different position than she was when she first sent them off. And uh, I have to say, amazing job by uh, Lena Headey. Absolutely amazing. In in the very short amount of screen time she got in this episode, but <sighs> I think we're meant to really feel for the position that she's in, both you know, her physical condition, but also her mental condition and, and her emotional condition as she learns about Tommen and, and what he's going through, his little hunger strike yeah. uh, that he's on. And, and really he must be in, in a, his own uh, emotional state as, as he's trying to figure out exactly what's going on between his mother and, and his wife. You know, Kyburn uh, tells Cersei, she, she gets her information from Kyburn and Kyburn mentions that Tommen's food that they they try and feed him is often found in a bowl on the floor outside of his where where he lives and i was just thinking what if he's just leaving some of his meal for sir pounce like what if he's just feeding the cat no he's not on a hunger strike at all he's just leaving it out for sir pounce good try but yeah no doubtful Hey, you know, I feel bad for Tom, and I really, truly do. He didn't ask to be a bastard. He didn't ask to be a powerless king. Um, but as I've said before on this show, I, I just I hope he does make it out alive to some place where he can get some peace. Um, others will definitely try and use him. And I, 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 I hate to guess at what the High Sparrow seems to have planned for Tommen, because if Cersei's trial goes through... And it is revealed that Tommen is a child born of incest. Even if Cersei were to confess that he was, that would almost be the nail in the coffin. Um, they would they would take him away, I imagine. Yeah. And one question that I did have, though, is how do you feel about Tommen's position right now? Because he could easily, I would think, react to what the High Sparrow has done. He could you know, put his head on a spike. He could... You do any number of things against the faith militant, but I remember that line from what was it two episodes ago now, mm. when the High Sparrow is speaking to the Queen of Thorns, and yeah. he says, "You know what happens when the you know something about the the, the many stop catering to the few, or you yeah, know, basically yeah, rise we're... up and and take control." Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if Tommen fears that, or he could actually make a difference here and and you know get Marjorie free, get Loras free, get Cersei free. Yeah, if if Tommen were just a little bit more ruthless, if he just had a little bit more Joffrey in him, um, you know, he he would perhaps 
try a siege, but I, I, I think that Tommen, we've seen Tommen sort of evaluate the situation and decide not to act. And I, I think his path has driven him more into, you know, misery or self-pity than, than action like other men. But the fact that during this uh, conversation between Cersei and Kyburn, it is revealed that Kevin Lannister has arrived. He's back in King's Landing and is serving as the hand of the king. I do not feel that Kevin Lannister would advise Tommen as hand of the king to free his mother and perhaps not Marjorie. You know, I, I think Kevin, just from the interaction between Cersei and Kevin, that's interesting that that is something that now has a payoff. Uh, that they, they set up either in episode one or two that, you know, Kevin does not think very highly of Cersei. The fact that she's now imprisoned is, is almost, I mean, better for him. Like the Lannisters should want every Lannister free out of chains and, you know, succeeding in the world. But the fact that they don't get along, their interpersonal relationship is so flawed. I really wonder what direction Kevin is, is going to guide, you know, King Tommen into. Um, King Tommen, Cersei used him as a puppet this whole time to even set up the Faith Militant, to set up a ton of other, you know, items. And it should be just as easy for Kevin to do it, um, given some time. And I, I really wonder what does Kevin Lannister want? She did kill the king, and that is brought up and thrown into her face. And, well, Kyburn <laughs> no, she, does his best she, she to— She says all lies, and he says, of course, my grace. Yeah, well, we all know that he is certainly uh, more wise than what he lets on, yeah. and he's in the background creating a super monster, it seems, out of the remnants of the mountain. The work but continues. He very clearly lets her know that she's being put on trial for fornication, treason, incest, and the murder of King Robert, as you mentioned, and... As far as Kevin Lannister goes, now he's come back. He's going to serve in the role as Hand of the King. I think that it's not necessarily a role that he wants, remember? It, it, it's it's something that is discussed between him and Cersei earlier on in the season, and she, of course, sends him on his way, or he decides well, to— he do... decides to leave. His, his whole thing about it was he will serve gladly— but at the pleasure of the king. Cersei was keeping the king from the small council meeting. She was keeping him away from the actual inner workings of the kingdom, and he did not appreciate just having Cersei as the middle person. If he can directly advise the king, and the king will see him and acknowledge his position, and he can influence him, I think it would be a whole different ballgame. Well, now he has that opportunity, so to your point, yeah. maybe it does serve his best interest to keep Cersei locked up, because if she is released and she gets back into a similar position of power, it creates the same sort of problem for him as it did previously, where you know, he would have to work through Cersei in order to get to Tommen. Now he has more of a relationship um, directly uh, with his grandnephew, I guess, would be one of the other major uh, stories that continues to develop uh throughout this season is that of Sansa being back in Winterfell and we got as fans a huge reveal uh, that we obviously have known about for quite some time 
but the Stark family, those that are surviving, had no clue of, and that was the fact that Bran and Rickon are still alive. And what was your feeling at this moment? Did you think that Reek Theon was was going to give it up, or did you think that he was going to find a way to kind of get away, or had he tipped his cap a little bit too much? You know, when when Theon first walks in and she asks him why would would he do that, it just it gets into that that headspace of Theon's where he's trying to correct her, but he's still answering to Theon. He still talks about himself and how Theon tried to escape and you know basically that the master didn't want him to and, and that you have to know that there's no escape from this hellish torture but then he creates this sort of escape he gives Sansa hope this scene is about Sansa getting hope that she didn't know was there and I don't know how I feel by the time he runs out of the room and she's just got like these these glistening tears in her eyes thinking oh, I may one day be able to see my brothers again, you know, because ultimately I don't know if that's something that's in the cards for her. I don't know if Bran will ever return to Winterfell or Rickon. I think he's with the Umbers. Like, I, you know, she wouldn't have to go as, as, as far to find Rickon, but it's, it's, it's difficult seeing a Stark get hope like this to see their family again, because it's something that this show has repeatedly destroyed. And the fact that it wasn't there moments before and is there now is is just a cause. It's almost cringeworthy because I, I just I fear uh, that hope being once again misplaced. Yeah, I think it was done to lay the groundwork at the end of the season, going into season six. That Bran is obviously still alive. We know that from the end of season four, but maybe also Rickon reappearing at some point down the line and you know what them being alive may mean to Sansa's storyline and and how that develops moving forward now we're in a position where word is starting to get out to more than just the Boltons that these two Stark children are alive we don't necessarily know where they are no uh you know there was that whole subplot last season of sending Locke up to the wall to try and find Bran and Rickon, and and we know how that played itself out at, up at Craster's Keep. But uh, I think it's important for us to remember, and I think that's really what the the showrunners were trying to do here was just kind of make a point of the fact that that these two characters are still alive; they're still important. We shouldn't forget about them, even though they don't appear this season. And now it gives Sansa a new level of hope to know that two of her brothers are, are very much alive. There's no reason now to think that they're dead. Uh, they could be off in hiding. You mentioned is Rickon with the Umbers. I, I don't think that we know. We don't have the answers to no, those questions, no. you know, uh, and, and, but maybe their whereabouts, um, you know, and, and people being sent to find them, to bring them back, to reintroduce them, uh, is going to be integral to the next season potentially yeah possibly um it's hard to it's hard to know what that'll look like because there's two armies that are about to go to battle the boltons and the and the um baratheons so uh, that was obviously another part of this this northern scene but getting sticking with theon for a moment um it was another defining moment for him too though because 
here you have information being he's the only delivered one with, to Sansa. Yeah, he's the he's the only one with that information. He's the only one who could come clean, and she's very forceful with him and says, "If I could do to you what Ramsay did right here, right now, like I would." And it, it her contempt for him shows, but it's not out of. Is it out of guilt that he confesses? I, I think, I think really he's just, he panics because she's coming at him by saying, you should say the names of the boys you killed. And he's, he's making great strides to atone for the things that he's done. He mentions Rob's name and Rob is someone that he did betray. And he mentions that he betrayed Rob. But when he gets to the boys, he said, I just burned the boys. And, you know, I, I think, I think it's about Theon has been gravitating towards this spot all season. We've seen him slowly come out of his shell uh, the whole season. And, and, and now it's, it's really about admitting the crimes that you've, that you've committed and, and trying to come to terms. He says, I think Theon, he says, he, he says Theon deserved everything that happened to him. You know, it's, 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 it's about turning a page. And I, I really just think at that point he needed to get that out because he is atoning for his sins, but he will not be um, mistaken. Like, he's he's not going to be mistakenly accused of something he didn't do. So I, I think especially by Sansa, who's probably the only person who, you know, she will be in a position to decide whether he lives or he dies. The fact that he just basically brought her two brothers back to life um, is, is probably going to weigh in his favor. But for me, I think it was part of his journey about admitting what he did and didn't do. Um, in order to fully resume the role of Theon, or does he become somebody else just with a slightly better name? We'll have to wait and see. I think I, I, I'm hoping for Bob. We just <laughs> Bob, not Bob Theon, Greyjoy. not Reek. Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's a very Westerosian name. So. It's a very, you know, the drowned god. Uh, Bob. Bob like uh, a buoy bobs. Yeah, buoy bobs. On the ocean. I yep. think that, again, it, it, it is the reemergence of Theon in small pieces. This wasn't necessarily the defining moment, but I think it was a defining moment for him uh, as a character and as as Theon, not as Reek. And, and yes, he was getting pressure. He was getting nervous. He was getting anxious. And he let this slip out. But I think that Sansa is slowly starting to crack whatever shield that he's put up in his mind to make him reek. And now we see Theon slowly starting to come back. And I hope that by season's end that we see something of of worth, something of note that he does for her because he has done so much to devastate her family after the fact that Ned took Theon in as his own son, raised him uh, as a ward, and and really didn't mistreat him at all, no. despite what the Greyjoys may think. No, yeah. Sansa comes Theon to him and says, "These well. were your brothers. You knew them as brothers." Um, and he and he did. I think she's 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 not wrong in stating that. Yeah, um, she's playing on whatever emotion still lives, still may be in there. Yeah, I mean Ramsay may have cut bits. Out of him, but he's he's really gained a lot in in reflection. I think lately, uh, and that that much is clear. Excellent performance, of course, as ever by by Alfie Allen on that. Yeah, and and speaking of Ramsey, you touched on this a bit earlier, but 
Uh, he's also in this episode along with his father, Roos. Yep. And they are uh, strategizing as uh, Stannis is closing in on Winterfell. And they have very opposite views of what they should do. Roos <laughs> is playing more of a wait and see game and just say, saying, hey, let's. Uh, let the, the the elements take care of Stannis and his men. I'm with Roos on this, except except for one fact, which is that the exact or a, a highly similar thing has already happened to Stannis. You know, Stannis survived starvation. Stannis and his men. And well, thanks to Davos. Yeah, it, it, thanks to Davos. But it, it's a it's a tale that has been recounted back in season two. So Stannis is kind of. I want to say an expert on the, on the techniques, but Stannis has faced brutal conditions such as starvation and perhaps mutiny of the like that Roos is, is planning on. And that might be, you know, Roos did not seem to have read that particular history book when it came time to, to plan openly with Ramsay in this scene because I, otherwise, if you discount the fact that Stannis has already survived one attempt at starving him, uh, self and his army and his men, then it's a perfect plan. I mean, they've got Winterfell. They're on the right side of the walls of Winterfell and they've got enough food for six months. Stannis's cell swords have already left him. The rest of the men are going to go off and want to save themselves. I mean, there's not going to be, they don't need to meet openly on a, on a field of battle because you've got the elements that are going to do your job for you. Roos Bolton is, is, is going to sacrifice basically no men and, and, and still win this war, except Ramsey wants to go kill people. So it's, it, I don't think there's any flaw really in Because Roos, that's what Ramsey likes to do. In Roos Bolton's plan. There's no flaw in Roos Bolton's plan here. I don't see one. I mean, yeah. unless Stannis has something in his back pocket, I really would be in agreement with Roos as well. Let winter take its course on Stannis. I mean, you can still send your men out, like at any time, if, if, if something changes, if the scope Absolutely. changes, but you'll be facing much more weakened uh, men. In, but in, I, in the part of me army. wonders, though, what Ramsay has in mind, because he says, give me 20 men. 20 men, yeah. 20 good men. I'll take care of it. And, <laughs> and so that doesn't really sit well with me. You You have to always with Ramsey feel like there's more than meets the eye. So I, I don't know what kind of trickery or, or plan he has up his sleeve, but I guess yeah. we'll find out. You know, it, it is interesting. He, he is a great, I don't want to say like tactician, but he, he, he got in Theon's head pretty easily and Theon was stupid for that. But at the same time, uh, the infiltration aspect of Ramsey's character, what, what allows him to, for some reason, blend in or escape, you know, capture and all, all of the other things that we've seen him do really does kind of raise a little bit of, of, of flag uh, for us when imagining what he's going to do with Stannis. And the element of surprise is a very real advantage. And so if Stannis maybe is expecting to not be greeted and and to basically have you know the elements try and do their work for them then he won't be expecting Ramsay. It's a great point. And yes, element of surprise can have its merits and we will see how this plays itself out assuming that Ramsay gets the okay to go ahead and do this and 
these next two episodes, you, we only have two episodes left to go in this season, and we know that something is building to happen at Winterfell. We have, or or around the grounds of Winterfell, we have too many characters that are positioned here between the Boltons and Sansa, Theon Reek, Stannis, Davos, Melisandre, Brienne, and Podrick. Hmm. They're all in the same very close geographic region. And eventually they're all going, I would think, to collide with each other in some fashion. And, you know, that's a good story for episode nine. I'm just saying, I mean, given everything that's happened in these episodes. <laughs> uh, and again, I don't know. You know, I'm in the dark here, too. And I think that's part of the fun is that we can theorize about what can happen. I mean, I think it's safe to assume that not all of those characters are going to make it out alive. Sure. And, and of course, you know, we would want to say that those that uh, snuff it should be the Boltons, but we know this series far too well to think that they would be the only ones that would walk, you know, that, that wouldn't walk away. So uh, a lot to really uh, to think about, you know, as, as we head into, you know, episode nine, I think it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to, to watch. And I, I'm excited, you know, just like going back to the early, uh, you know, episodes and, and the first season and not knowing what's going to happen. There's, there's a lot of, uh, anticipation for that. And I think that's what, you know, we've seen as we've gotten the reactions of all of our listeners from this particular episode. And uh, yes, a majority of it did focus on what happened in the latter half of it, but that's to be expected. There was a ton of, uh, excitement around hard home we saw that through your owns we saw it through your emails and uh i know we're going to get to them now uh we got a bunch of emails that we want to go through here first before we get over to to the owns heck yes we did read an email earlier but uh there are quite a few more here to go through and we want to uh make sure that we are our equal opportunity uh We always say if, owners. if you have a longer format, own, send it to us via email. This is where to do it. And this week, people have really taken that to heart. And uh, come, they've definitely sent along some great ideas. The first one here is from AC, mm. uh, who says, Goo, love the show. Can't believe it's taken me five seasons to find you. Well, we're glad that you did. Uh, so... After watching Hard Home, I was overcome with emotions as well. I have a theory that really just came into my mind. I don't read the books and try to stay off the internet somewhat, although I'm not as unsullied as others. We learned on Sunday that Valyrian Steel kills a White Walker. We also know that Dragonglass kills White Walkers. What we don't know is if either is effective against the Night's King. He seems more powerful than the White Walkers and obviously has the ability to raise thousands of humans from the dead at once. I don't think a mere Valyrian blade will cut him down, but maybe some super blade will. <laughs> I have a theory. The Iron Throne consists of all the swords of the kings conquered by the Targaryens centuries ago. It was forged by dragon's fire. It could be that the one thing needed to defeat the Night's King is the very throne humans have been fighting over, or at the very least, it is the largest source of Valyrian-like steel in Westeros. <laughs> Wouldn't it be symbolic if the Iron Throne itself is what must be sacrificed to defeat the White Walkers? Maybe that's how you break the wheel. Oh my. Just a thought. Gosh. AC, air conditioning is written in, and I think AC has solved the series. How cool is that? How cool is that wording, man? That 
The Iron Throne, okay, it could be that the one thing needed to defeat the Night's King is the very throne humans have been fighting over. I, mean, I like the theory. I mean, it's a great theory, and just, yeah, take the Night's King, plop his butt on the throne, and he's dead, right? Is that what he's saying? <laughs> yeah. And or, or are we talking about forging a sword? A out throne of, fit for the king. Out of the throne. I don't know. It'd be weird. All right. You, you could do uh, a couple of swords, I'm sure, out of the throne, or a couple of jagged metal objects that would go to impale the that that that's quite funny great. it's it's definitely uh great theorizing and uh Damn. all we can do is wait and see our next email comes from steph who writes in hey guys once i was able to compose myself after that epic series of events at hard home i thought back to the events with Tyrion and danny in the throne room we know how clever Tyrion is and i started thinking what if he knew jorah had grayscale because he saw right through Jorah's lie earlier this season. I think it's possible he told Danny to get Jorah, to get rid of Jorah, for this reason. Think about it. It'd be much better for everyone involved if Jorah was gone before he couldn't hide the grayscale anymore. If Jorah stayed and never mentioned his grayscale, it'd be a huge betrayal on his part. That's a contagious disease, after all, and not something you should hide from your queen. If Jorah stayed until he couldn't hide the grayscale, it's possible Tyrion could have found himself in trouble as well. It's an interesting way, I think, to look at this scene. What do you think? Is it possible Tyrion suspected Jorah had grayscale? Or does it seem more likely he just threw his travel buddy under the bus because Jorah did betray Danny in the past, and advising Danny to get rid of Jorah made sense? I'd love to hear your thoughts. It's really hard to say... I wonder even if Tyrion and Jorah planned this out in advance in some way. Not that they had a whole lot of time to spend with each other, but I was kind of surprised that Tyrion was so willing to put Jorah in this position. Mm. But thinking through the grayscale, it's uh, it's an interesting point uh, because certainly if this was something that Jorah was to keep from Daenerys and should she have decided to welcome him back, with open arms, mm-hmm. uh, it would be a, yet another lie that he would have, or, or another you know thing that he would have been keeping from her. That is pretty critical because you have to think you know if that exposed area, which is on his arm, it's not like it's it's on a, a place that's that's usually very well covered up. <laughs> you know, it could. I'm I'm serious though. It's it's yeah. on like his his basically is on his wrist and. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if if that would happen to come in contact with Danny or or with anybody else who she considers to be close to her, oh yeah, that would have pretty bad implications. Uh, you know, not only for Jorah but for the person he touches. Well, so it's why, it's why I like the idea that Tyrion and Jorah maybe pre-plan this. I mean, we see when Jorah leaves, he goes right back to the slave trader, um, and and seems to have uh, a further plan or a mission i don't i don't know if it's just to die in the pits or just to annoy daenerys a whole lot more because he knows that she will be present at the big game the big fight and he wants to be there and i i, I just don't know because it's it's a bit he, he he lost but got to keep his life and that's something that he just doesn't value enough not to go back and do the same exact thing again yeah, certainly if he was to keep that information from her, I think it would cause some problems and it would just be another thing to add to the list in 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 terms of showing his untrustworthiness. But 
it would also cause uh, a problem for for Tyrion too. I mean, because she has no reason to believe him in terms of him not knowing Jorah's condition, you know, they were both yeah. sailing through old Valyria together. They both encountered these stone men. So, uh, it, it would be difficult to believe that Tyrion didn't have any knowledge of him potentially having <laughs> contracted grayscale. So it's a good question. And I'm sure we'll see how Tyrion and Jorah factor into this story with Daenerys, especially with the next episode being called dance with dragons. And we'll just uh, take it from there. We actually got uh, an own in from Louis Usama, who is from Tunisia. Ooh. And he says, hi, guys. I'm from Tunisia, and I love the podcast. Hey. Uh, my first own goes for Jon Snow, the bravest Lord Commander the Watch has ever known. Fighting the army of the dead, defending the free folk in an epic action by the Lord Commander. Um, second own goes for the real badass Ramsey Bolton uh, for being smarter in war strategy. And I love his line, leave a feast for the crows. Yes, I think that was a little bit of a nod to the fourth book in the series. A couple of other people sent in their owns for that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll get to them in, a, in just a moment. Um, he leaves hashtag love you guys. Please take my owns. Well, we have taken your owns. We have read your owns. They are now on Game of Owns. We got a message from Abe next, who we'd like to read. And Abe writes in, There's only one true own after Hardhome, and that own belongs to the Night's King. What better way does one show hopelessness, defiance, and superiority but to raise their hands and raise the fallen? John might be in over his head. Yeah. We'll see what John can do. <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll we'll see what he might can do. Might be a little bit of an uphill battle. <laughs> Paula May sent us an email and she says, What an episode. I'm still reeling. Hands down, one of the best episodes ever. In fact, I liked it much more than Blackwater and the Battle on the Wall. The performances were incredible too. All season Kid Harrington has had a quiet swagger about him, but he absolutely <laughs> nailed it this episode. This was his episode, and he knew it. Own goes to the sweet sound of Illyrian steel on the ice lands and the priceless look on the White Walker's face. And an honorary own to you guys for an equally superb podcast of Hard Home. It mirrored my excitement to the T. Our last of the email bag comes from Addie, who writes in, Hey guys. I'm a fairly new listener. Been two weeks since I started. I'm originally from Jakarta, Indonesia, but I'm currently residing in Salt Lake City, Utah, going through my last semester of nursing school. I know everybody went crazy over the events that took place at Hardhome, but I personally loved the Tyrion and Danny scene. I was worried that Danny was going to reject Tyrion, but looking at them going back and forth in a rather personal space was so fulfilling. I don't know what it was, but it really felt like a cathartically beautiful moment. On a lighter note, first world people be like, so that's what it takes to have my own blue piercing eyes. I knew being pretty isn't easy, but um, alright, take my soul already. <laughs> okay? Oh, well oh, done. and Addie's, Addie's first own, uh, they write, goes to the whites for making an entrance a la Tasmanian Devil. They did kind of do that with the uh, with that white mist Mm -hmm. Building up, and then they just kind of blew in out of nowhere. I, I see. <laughs> they didn't quite make that noise, but 
<laughs> it was pretty close. <laughs> All right. Well, it is that time of the episode. Uh, we do enjoy the uh, emails that we just got, but we know that the bulk of your owns come in each and every week through Twitter and Facebook, and we got a ton of them. I was just talking with Eric before we sat down to record, and uh, we were looking just alone at the amount of comments we got on the Facebook post from Sunday evening. Mm -hmm. It was well over 100. Well over, yeah. (laughs) So uh, we've carefully gone through and uh, collected the best of the best owns here into our satchel. We're going to take it and place it upon the fire, and we will begin the process of reading the owns. This is a ritual. It happens every week. And the only way that it can properly begin with is a with a countdown. Of mm. course. Can I do it this week? Absolutely, yeah. You, you, you have to enjoy the Zelda music that accompanies it, though. In five, four, three, two, one. I need 20 good men. The first ode comes from Daenerys Targaryen. Appropriate. Uh, she says, I have to get north with my dragons and roast those fuckers. <laughs> fire, fire emoji, emoji. Yes. Tyrion Lannister writes in, oh, first Danny and then Tyrion. You know what? I bet they were in the same chamber together taking were, turns tweeting us right after this. The- yes. Okay. Well, Tyrion writes in, good luck sleeping tonight. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, we got a few of those. And uh, quite honestly, I don't blame them. Yeah. Uh, Jesse on Twitter I hate to say it, but my own goes to the Night's King, raising the dead like that was his own version of a mic drop. <laughs> There's a photo we retweeted of a microphone sitting in the snow. Yeah. Oscar Marillo writes in from Facebook, My own goes to the Night's King, taunting the living by raising the dead. Well done, well done. Elizabeth Bird tweeted in My own goes to the Night's King for giving me nightmares for the next few days, and I'm not even <laughs> mad about that. Evan Nagode says own to the Night's King for his... What you gonna do about this bitch? Look at the end. I have to say it is fitting. This guy was super cool in this episode that we do have multiple owns for him. And each of them are slightly different. Uh huh. Including one from Brandon Bryce. My own goes to the Night's King for showing all of us how easy it is to gain new followers by lifting up your arms. <laughs> I'm going to try that over on my Twitter page. Yeah, I was going to say, if that's all you have to do on Twitter, then yeah, I'm all for, for that. Thanks for the tip, Brandon. Changing gears just slightly over to Janine Capecci on Twitter, who says, My Game of Owns own goes to Longclaw. Hashtag Jon Snow. Hashtag White Walker. Hashtag Dusted. I like that, Dusted. Yeah, Dusted. That's pretty good. Sky Pataga also agrees. Own to Jon Snow for using Longclaw to kill a White Walker. Hashtag Valyrian Steel kills them too. Hashtag the dead do not die. We get a message on Facebook. I like this one a lot. Al Martell says, you can't spell snow without owns. It's very true. I guess that's, well, owns in particular, but yes. Kristen tweeted in, own to the sword makers of old Valyria for making some killer swords. That's for sure. I got you, Kristen. I see what you did there. Almata says, Longclaw owned the White Walker. Valyrian Steel. Frozen fire. Ron Mosca over on Facebook. Is it me or does everybody else's problem now come in a distant second to Jon Snow? <laughs> no, it's not you, Ron. Kenny Nelson writes in on Twitter. My own ghost of the old bear for having the foresight to see just how useful Valyrian steel would be in the future. At Black Gendo agrees with Kenny and says, I can't decide who gets the own. G.R. Mormont for giving Lo- John Longclaw 
or the White Walker King's massacre turned recruitment. It's a recruitment drive, it's not a massacre. <laughs> Lauren Essie writes in, My Own Ghost of Valyrian Steel. Surprise! Lauren, good thing for you, Danny seems to be in that same mindset. She tweeted as much at the top of our own segment. Uh, Solilani tweeted in, Own to the motherfucking Night King, raising the dead like a boss. <laughs> pretty much what he did so uh, yep yep that's they cannot be argued we heard from brandon c on twitter who writes in let's just all agree that the army of the dead owns walkers from the walking dead i don't watch the walking dead so i can't speak to that but uh i'll assume that uh, you're telling the truth brandon i'll take your word for it too steffers at beyond the veil on twitter own to the white walkers for looking like the horsemen of the apocalypse as they stand on that ridge line oh yeah they certainly did dan Kreppen says winter just came in my pants <laughs> hashtag <laughs> i'm hard at home all right dan stacy let us know that uh, anyone who plays warcraft knows that he just mass res them no big deal sir benny william Walkers have the best recruitment strategy that they do. Gary Manis, White Walker Slayer Club has two members now. <laughs> Hashtag John Motherfucking Snow. <laughs> yes, he joins Sam. Becky W. Own goes to the giant for not taking the last lifeboat and just walking out to sea. Uh-huh. Lindsay Ellis agrees. At Shame of Scones on Twitter. Giant, giant. All about that giant. Rob McDonald writes in, Own goes to the White Walkers, getting hundreds of thousands to jump off a cliff at once. Hashtag cult leaders. They seem to be fine. It's just a really long step. Jessica Denton, those Walker children are going to own my nightmares. Hashtag winter has come. Mine too. Anything where you take children and you make them creepy, that freaks me out more than anything Children else. Children are creepy naturally, like normally, yeah. when they're not ready to eat your brains. You know, you can show me any any number of Halloweens or Friday the 13ths or Nightmare on Elm Streets. I'm cool with that. Yeah. But you go the route of, like, Children of the Corn or Poltergeist or, or anything like that. Yeah. Forget it. I'm with you, so, Mike. I agree. Yep, so is uh, Ashley. Ashley wrote into us, own goes to zombie children because zombie children. Yep. Hashtag zombie squad. Yep, bare bones says my own goes to the children scene because now I need new pants. <laughs> Hashtag game of pants. Game of pants. I hear you, brother. More talk about pants and the butts in them. Ashra Stoneheart says my own goes to White Walkers for freezing me to my seat. Yep. Can't get up, can't look away when that scene is on. It's true. Uh, Amy T tweeted in, Own goes to Jon Snow for his new title, King Crow, and for being marked by the Night's King. Hashtag creepy staring. Olivia Suttles writes in, My first ever own goes to the fight choreographers, Jon Snow versus Ice Zombie. Hashtag totally awesome. Uh, Alicia Cottrell at the Diva-esque says, Killing the Lord of Bones? Seems a good job for a ginger. Hashtag Dem Thrones. Dem Thrones, though. We heard from Wen of the White Fawn, who says my own goes to Torment for finally giving us the one one the giant name drop we all deserve. Hashtag yes. to the sea. One one. One one. Eric Flores, my own goes to Torment Giants Bane for beating the crap out of the Lord of Bones. We heard from Bron Wilkes Booth <laughs> at Prope Bon. Uh, <laughs> At Pope Braun Paul, 
on Twitter who said, Owned to Torment for turning hashtag Lord of Bones into hashtag Lord of Bone Marrow, and John for blowing my mind even more than his hashtag fucking Dragonglass. Yeah. I, Excellent own. We have to say, by the way, Pope Ron Paul, your names each and every week, they get better and better. Totally agree. The Lady Ash. Oh. Owned to Sam's beard. Because who knew he was capable? Hmm. Ouch. What are you saying? <laughs> Sam can't grow a beard? You know, look. Hey. Let, let, let's go through the, 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 the progression, okay? Remember what happened in the last episode. He became a man. He's now a man. He oh, a beard. that's why he has a beard. Huh, that's what I've been doing wrong all these years. <laughs> Emily Rugburn writes in, Game of Owns My Own Goes to HBO for the nightmares I'm going to have after tonight's episode. Hashtag hard home. A lot of people having a lot of nightmares. I slept pretty well. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> We're used to that, though. Uh, Brittany Holloway, My Own Goes to the Last 10 Minutes of the Show. Owns for everyone. Hashtag holy shit. Hashtag not sleeping tonight. So Brittany, Emily, you guys can have a uh, sleepover party where you stay up till 6 a.m. Gandhi writes in, my own goes to Miguel Sapochnik for some of the best directing I've seen in my entire life. Yes, uh, Penelope tweeted in, it's got to go to Tyrion for calling Danny on her shit. And Papa Mormont for saving John's sweet ass with Longclaw. Hashtag, yes. <laughs> Lighty Silver writes in, My own goes to Ian Glenn for his strong ass puppy dog eye game. Hashtag all the feels. Ricky Young, owned to Tyrion for acknowledging Jorah's love for Daenerys. Hashtag... Sir Obvious. Sydney Steinauer says it was great seeing Danny and Tyrion together, but the last 15 minutes definitely owned the rest of the episode. Hashtag jaw dropping. I agree. I mean, this was a great episode across the board, and you know, it's certainly having a moment like Tyrion and Danny sitting together talking about politics would be enough for an episode by itself, never mind what we got later on. So uh, I like that own from Sydney. Two Parts Rye tweeted in, Ode to Danny for being Tyrion's AA sponsor. <laughs> I like that. Yes, she would not let him have any more wine. Nope, nope. She likes advisors who can finish their sentences. Thank you very much. The Old Gods and Manu at Manuclear Bomb writes in, Tyrion owns all the wine in the Great Pyramid of Marine. Until Danny stops him, of course. Yes, I would agree with that. Kevin A tweeted in, Epic episode, best of the season. Better battle than the one last season at the Wall. Old goes to Tyrion for smooth talking. Definitely. Yes, Tyrion's very good with his tongue. I haven't thought to compare those battles, the battle at the wall versus this battle. I'm not even going to go into that territory. They're very different. They're both, yeah, they're very different. Vicky writes in, aside from the obvious, my own goes to the gambler. Because honestly, who enjoys the taste of oysters with vanilla flavoring? Yeah, that's some funky shit. Yes. Uh, K26DP, cousin of R2D2. Owned to Lana of the Canals for having the best oysters, clams, and cockles in the city. Hashtag seafood trio. Hashtag cover story. Hashtag with vinegar. Huge Five writes in, Own goes to Theon for owning Reek and giving Sansa a little bit of hope by revealing Bran and Rickon being alive. Heather Beck told on Facebook, Ramsey gets the own for sneaking in the title of one of the books in the show, A Feast for Crows. Robert Gregson, my own goes to that beefy-ass Septa for pulling a season three Ramsey, but on Cersei. Quote, you want water? I wish I had some for you. Yeah, she's one tough lady. I wouldn't mess with her. No. 
Will Warren on Facebook. My own goes to that Septon spoon and how it owns Cersei's face. Sammy Nuzi agrees. The nurse to nurse Ratchet Septon for smacking Queen Mama around. Ding Z tweeted in with her very first own to say it goes to all the ladies. All the awards to Amelia, Sophie, and Lena. Here, here. Yeah, they all did a great job in this episode. Amy T wrote in. And now to shock me out of that ending, I'm watching the battle for Hogwarts. <laughs> Hashtag all the feels. Uh, Rob Sang writes, I'd like to give an own to Sky New Zealand for broadcasting this episode on the actual first day of winter. Hey! Now, Rob, go run and hide under your pillows because you don't know what's going to be coming into your backyard. And Rob, may I suggest electric blanket? That saved my life in the New Zealand winters. Caesar Hotami next, uh, also on Facebook. Very short comment here, but short and sweet and perfect. They just write, Game of Mind Blowns. <laughs> we have a lot of creative listeners, that is for sure. Yeah. But we have reached the moment of our final own of this final episode. Own. And it goes to our good friend, who we hear from on a regular basis, Louis-Philippe Pilon. I usually try and get cute and funny with my owns, but this one is pretty straightforward. My own goes to the best episode of Game of Thrones I've ever seen. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to have trouble breathing when you watch TV, <laughs> but when I saw these damn zombie kids, man, hashtag Carsey forever. <laughs> the fact that an episode could do that to you, and I think, you know, it was pretty evident on Monday's show how how we felt about it, how moved and affected we all were. It's just, there's still two episodes to go, man. And mm -hmm. I just feel, I feel like it's, we haven't seen the best yet. Yeah. There's a lot of great things. Well, depending on how you define great, uh, to come. Uh, and I think that Louis Philippe really summed up how a lot of people felt about this week's episode and that's why we put it at the end there and i'm really impressed week in and week out with all the owns that we get from the listeners all the creativity that they put into crafting their owns and their hashtags and even sometimes their memes so uh continue to do so episode nine is literally right around the corner we will then be just facing one more episode which is crazy to think about i can't even begin to think of where the season went, but we're here. We're at the, what's it, the penultimate episode, right? And yeah, yeah, coming, coming Eric, into... Eric was waiting to use that word, and I just stole it away Thank from you, him. Thank you, Micah. Thank you. I, maybe no I problem. shouldn't be so obvious and write penultimate <laughs> in big 25-size font in the document. But, yep. uh, you know, whatever. It is, it is going into the penultimate episode. And on our last episode, this is just time to sort of reiterate here, uh, we mentioned that we do have plans, not for the penultimate episode, of course, besides to watch it, but for the finale. Game of Owns will be live in Chicago for the finale episode, uh, and will be in Chicago at a place called Geek Bar. And, uh, it's, it's really just going to be an amazing event leading up to the, the final episode of the season with a, a group of enthusiastic, uh, Game of Thrones local Chicago fans. And that is where we will be for our finale. There is a Facebook event as well. 
Uh, if you search Geek Bar on Facebook, you can find that, and you can find that event. Yeah, so as Eric mentioned, definitely more information to come. We will you know, push out more as we get it on social media, Twitter, Facebook, so keep your eyes open. If you are in the Chicago area and you can make it, we would love for you to come on out. I believe there is actually a limited number of spaces uh, mm-hmm. for the event, so definitely if you're planning on doing that, plan to do so sooner rather than later as mentioned you know zach myself and eric would love to see you meet you all in person because after all you are what helps to make this podcast what it is so we'll be just uh a few days out uh from the finale before we know it but for uh those of you who want to uh get in on the conversation much like many of our listeners did on on this week's episode there's a number of different ways that uh, you can do so. That's right. If you are emailing us, and we did enjoy spending a little bit more time doing the emails this episode, you can email us at contact at gameofowns.com. I have a feeling that uh, some of the uh, events to come will will uh, welcome even greater discussion. You can also uh, tweet at us, as a number of our listeners did, uh, at Game of Owns. We uh, look forward to each and every Sunday evening when all of you join the conversation with us, and we love retweeting and uh, really uh, watching the conversation as it unfolds. And the final way you can get in touch with us is on Facebook, facebook.com slash Game of Owns. Just scroll upon our wall there. We post pretty regularly during the week, and then, of course, uh, just following the airing of the episode, and you can just leave your comments there. Leave your owns there, and uh, we will look to include them on uh, either of our two episodes during the week. So a number of different ways that you can get in touch with the show. We hope that you do so. And uh, we're really looking forward to uh, this episode on Sunday evening. As Eric mentioned, really, in, in I think the first couple minutes of the show, episode nine is usually the episode to look forward to each season. It's the one with the most action or the biggest moments, and I, I can't wait to see what, what this one entails. It's, yeah. it's going to be it's gonna be good. I, I don't know. I'm super excited about it. It's a good time to be alive. <laughs> it is, and uh, as mentioned, it's called A Dance with Dragons. It will most certainly feature Daenerys and what's going on out in Marine. Uh, hopefully, we get a chance to go back to Dorne. I think we got a Love taste of that. Back to in the preview i feel like we've all been looking forward so much to visiting this place and uh we'd love to spend a little bit more time there Maybe before Dorn's the season, like a is season out. six thing <laughs> season six will just be Dorn. i'm excited i know you're excited i know zach is excited and we're all looking to reconvene on sunday evening to talk about episode nine if it was anything like last week's episode know that uh we're going to be extremely excited. The blood will spill and the memes will flow. We'll see you Sunday night. I'm going to break the wheel. <laughs>